Well, amen. I hope you take these words of encouragement and instruction as we think about global missions. Uh, I hope you take those to heart. Uh, One of my favorite times of year, obviously, because we celebrate the coming of Christ into the world, but also because of uh, getting to focus on this very strategic and important role of global missions. And uh, we want to be faithful in uh, our role and our uh, responsibility in uh, praying and giving and mobilizing uh, um, folks to go to the nations. And uh, what, great, what greater way than to participate in this global endeavor than to uh, give uh, through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And we ask that you just in, uh, prayerfully consider what you might sacrificially give so that others can go. And you've heard me say this before, my prayer is that some of you would go. Uh, I think that uh, uh, we, we all need good reasons to stay here, and if you don't have a good reason, then you need to go, and we need to get behind you and help you go. And so it's always a good thing to pray, Lord, maybe you're, you're, you're raising me up. Uh, know that I'm praying for your children and your grandchildren to be raised up, to be sent to the nations. And so uh, maybe some of us will continue to be uh, uh, hearing that call of God to go to the nations uh, for the glory of God. Well, I want to this time invite you to turn to the, Luke, uh, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Uh, we just finished our series through James, and now we're going to turn our attention through this season of Advent, this season of Christmas, as we're going to look at four songs through Luke's Gospel. And so this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 39, but our focus will primarily be verses 46 through 55. So Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through all the way down to verse 56. Let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 39. This is the word of God. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, a baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this, and and why is this granted to me and the mother, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you and ask now that you would, by your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. Father, would you do your work in us? Would you you sanctify us by this truth that we encounter today? 
Lord, we thank you that we've been given this great word and we, we thank you for this uh, ability that we have now to gather as your people to open the Bible and to hear it and to understand how it impacts us and changes us. So Lord, would you now do your work in our lives that you would be glorified and that we would continue to look more and more like Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. You may be seated. You know, as we enter this Christmas season, uh, many of you probably have already been playing the Christmas music. Some of you get a little ahead of things and do that before Thanksgiving. But uh, it's, it's that time of year. Some of you, I know there, there's a few of you out there that, that don't like Christmas music and we have to have a conversation about that. But uh, just, just ask you, don't, don't answer out loud, but what is your favorite Christmas song? Favorite Christmas carol of all time? Think about that, maybe write it down. And then ask yourself, why? Why is it your favorite? What is it that makes you sing that particular song or play it over and over and over again so that your family is made crazy? You know, there's a lot of good songs out there. There are a lot of songs that say little to nothing, and there are other songs that are certainly robust with great meaning and truth. As we think about our Christmas songs and the reasons why we like them. There are a variety of reasons. Maybe we like a particular song, the way it's composed or something that it's saying. Or maybe it's our favorite because it's sung by one of our favorite musicians or singers. It's probably safe to say that the first Christmas song we find in the Gospel of Luke or in the New Testament even, probably wouldn't have made our favorite Christmas playlist. You see, this was a song that was not being broadcast at Macy's or being sung by a six-year-old standing on a stage with a halo. It was a song sung by a pregnant, unmarried teenage girl. It was a reflection of God's generosity and a declaration of his power. You see, back in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, Mary, we know, was visited by the angel Gabriel. And she was told that she, as a virgin, would be conceiving and giving birth to what we know would be the Messiah. And after receiving that startling news and that interchange with the angel and The angel says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Not only was that told to her, she was told in verse 36 that her relative, Elizabeth, in her old age had also conceived a son. It was the sixth month, we're told, that she was with child, Elizabeth. And then in verse 37, it says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. And at that moment, she couldn't help but take off running to Elizabeth's house, which was quite a distance, quite a journey, where they were able to celebrate this good news together. You know, both pregnancies were miraculous. Mary was a virgin and Elizabeth was a senior adult who had long been barren. 
Imagine the conversation between these two ladies. In fact, it was such a time of wonder and celebration. We kind of get a snapshot here of how that encounter went and the response of Mary's own heart as she breaks out in song. Mary's song is, is the first of four songs or uh, poems or prophecies, we could say, in Luke's gospel that we'll be looking at this month. Uh, next week, Pastor Jeremy will be looking at the song of Zechariah, and in week three, we will look at the angel song, and then on Christmas Day, as we celebrate together, we will conclude with the song of Simeon there in Luke chapter two. When you consider Mary's circumstances, she could have responded in many different ways. Remember, she's a virgin, a young girl. Just imagine the, the pressure and the, the society around her. Just imagine all of the temptations she had. She could have responded in unbelief. She, she could have not said in verse 38, let it be to me according to your word. She could have said, hold on just a minute. I'm not so sure about this. She could have responded in fear. She could have been seized with panic and anxiety and, and, and just kind of shut herself in and, and, hidden her, and hid herself. But she does not do that. Mary instead responds in faith, and this faith is expressed now in this rejoicing that we see here in verses 46 through 55. When we think about Christmas, we think many different things. But I think that when we come to this passage today, I think that one, the main thing that we should, we should see as we see it uh, exemplified through, through Mary and her response to this news that had been shared with her. Now this response that she's, this news that she's now sharing with Elizabeth and as they are now celebrating this good news together. I think what we're reminded of here is that the Christian life is a life that ought to be lived out in joy and in praise. Christian life should be lived out in joy. This morning we, we sang a, a Christmas song by the Gettys and first verse of that song, joy has dawned upon the world, promised from creation. This was not just news that, that, that came about in the New Testament. This was promised long ago. God's salvation now unfurled hope for every nation. This was not just good news for Israel. This was good news for all nations not with fanfares from above, not with scenes of glory, but a humble gift of love, Jesus, born of Mary. So as we consider this song today, it's a song that should result in joy. It's a song that should remind us that our lives ought to be lived out in the response of joy based upon not our thinking or, or the way that we think about life, but based upon what God has done. Just think about this song. When you scan through this, through this song, look at the references, the, the numerous references to God's activity. This was a song not about Mary. This was a song all about God. He has looked, 
He has done great things. He has shown strength. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has exalted. He has filled. He has sent away. He has helped. I don't think it could be any clearer that this song is a song of celebration rooted firmly in the the activity of God, that this song of joy radiating from Mary's heart was not a song about her. It was a song about her God and how great he was and is. So as we consider these things, we can summarize several reasons. You can number these in in various ways. We're going to Summarize these in three reasons. God is worthy of of being worshiped. Three reasons why God is worthy of praise. Three reasons why we ought to be a people of joy and celebration. Very simple, I'll give them to you up front. His mercy, his power, and his promises. His mercy, his power, and his promises. Let's look first at his mercy. The first reason that God is worthy of such praise, the reason that our lives ought to be lived out in joy is because God extends his mercy generously. See that in verses 48 through 50. Mary here, as you just kind of look at the structure of this song, she responds in song, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. I'm praising God and now she gives us the reasons why. So my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices, and then you can say because of these things and that's what we're gonna work through. Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, there are two things that we should take note of in Mary's life alone. One, she recognizes her need for a savior and two, she recognizes her lowly status. Notice in verse 47 that Mary refers to God as God my Savior, indicating that she too needed a Savior like everyone else. The idea of this immaculate conception or that she was somehow sinless is not an idea we get from the Bible or that we get from Mary. You see very clearly here that she has an understanding that she needed a Savior and she refers to God as her Savior. But Mary also recognized her status. She knew that she was a nobody from nowhere. A young peasant teenage girl that didn't come from money or status, common person that most people would have overlooked or ignored, not thought much of. Mary realized just how little she had to bring. In the world's eyes, she was an unlikely candidate She was an unlikely candidate to be part of something so big. She knew that God owed her nothing and yet he had chosen her to be the recipient of such a great blessing. But friends, this is how God works, isn't it? This is how God works. He chooses to work in unlikely ways, in unlikely people to highlight his amazing grace and honor. 
Mary's experience and her response reminds us that there is no one too common and no one too small to remain outside of God's gaze and God's grace. Reason that Mary says in verse 48, from now on all generations will call me blessed is not because she was some special person, not because she was sinless, not at all. It was because she had become an object of God's redeeming favor and is given this amazing responsibility to bear the child, the, 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 the child that would come and save the world, the, the one that we call Messiah. She will be called blessed not because of what she did, but because of what God did. Well, you might say, well, that's good for Mary. Glad she got to experience that. What about, what does that have to do with me? What hope does that give me? Well, let's let Mary answer that question. Look at verse 50. And, so she's already just, just said in verse 48 and 49, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has, he, verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. She's acknowledging the, the work of God in her personal life, and now she goes to verse 50. And in addition to, and she's including this now in her celebration, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Do you, do you hear what Mary is saying? Mary is saying the same mercy that has visited me, this humble, lowly, young girl that had nothing to bring, this same mercy that, that has been lavished upon me is the same mercy that is available to all. From generation to generation. Friends, God's mercy is not limited. Mary's song progresses from her individual experience to a wider application. You see, Mary was called blessed because she was a model of what it looks like to be a recipient of God's grace. And she's now saying the same mercy is available to all. But there's one qualifier, isn't there? Look at the text. His mercy is for those who fear him. His mercy is for those who fear him. It's not a universally applied mercy. It is available. It's, it's mercy that's, uh, that's going to impact every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. It's mercy, though, that is for those who fear him. There's a response to this mercy that's evidenced in one's repentance and one's faith. And while God does extend his mercy widely, it's for those who fear him. You know, the truth that Mary reminds us here is, is that God is worthy of being magnified because in his greatness and in his holiness, 
He grants favor to the small and insignificant. And when you think about God being magnified, you know, you can magnify something in a couple different ways, can't you? You know, sometimes something needs magnified because it's so small you can't see it with your eye. So you put it under a a microscope and you're looking and you, oh, there's, there's all of these things moving around. Well, that's not the kind of magnification we're talking about here. There are other things that that we want to magnify, some things that are so far away and distant and yet they're great and glorious that we need a, a telescope to see them and then we see them in all their beautiful array. This is the kind of magnification we're talking about here, that God's not something so small, not someone so small that he needs to be made big. He's so big and we're so small that we need help seeing him and Mary sees him because he is a God of grace. Friend, this is good news for you and for me. You you may not feel like you're much. You you may not feel strong and significant. In fact, you might feel very insignificant. And you might think of yourself as very small, lowly. But friend, can I remind you that God delights, God delights in showing favor and mercy to those who are just like you. We should take note also of Mary's humility. The natural result of someone who genuinely sees the greatness of God and understands his grace for them is a person that will be humbled. True humility is an evidence that God's grace has affected the heart. Let me say that again. True humility is an evidence that God's grace has genuinely affected the hearts. It would serve us well to think often about our humble estate and how God in his holiness has extended his saving mercy to even to even us. You know, friends, when you think about humility, our humility will often be tested. Think about, again, how Mary could have responded. She, I said earlier, she could have responded in unbelief or fear and just kind of tucked and ran, right? She could have just hidden. She could have just said, this is not true. This is, how can this be? She didn't, she responded in faith and in joy. But also in that faith and joy, she could have also taken that to to an unhealthy place where she could have been, been one saying, well, look at me, look how special I am. God has visited me. I must be, I must be something. But she didn't. All she could do is praise God for his amazing kindness, his generosity. Friends, as you're given opportunities in this life, even opportunities for service and ministry, and even as some of you hold high places of authority in your your workplace, your humility will be tested. Your humility will be tested in every sense of the the word. Friend, don't forget who you are. 
Your true identity is not based upon the kind of uniform you wear. Your true identity is not based upon the number of digits in your paycheck. Your true identity is not found in, in, in how you look and present yourself or your true identity is not ultimately found in the things of this world. Your true identity is found in the amazing fact that God loves sinners and that he has redeemed you by his grace. He's adopted you into his family and he has given you the name son or daughter. Find your joy in that and not in the things of this world, as, as good and, as, as those things are. Friends, have you responded to God's favor humbly? You see, he extends his mercy generously. Let's not forget that. This, this is the very foundation that spurs our joy, to know who we are, to know who God is, and to consider all that he's done to bring us to himself. Second truth that we find in this passage that leads us to respond in joy and worship of God is that he demonstrates his power righteously. You see that in verses 51 through 53. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, their thoughts, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. As Mary continues in her song, she now moves further away from her own experience to praise God for his work among all kinds of people. Particularly in verses 51 through 53, she reflects upon God's justice, his judgment, and his grace. By the way, this is one of those great songs that just highlight the, the many attributes of God. Sometimes we kind of get hung up on one attribute, God's love, or, or maybe, maybe some of you hardcore people, God's wrath. We all overreact sometimes to the emphasis of God's love by wanting to overemphasize his wrath. Well, folks, we gotta keep them all held together. And you see many of the attributes highlighted here in this song. What Mary is acknowledging here is that God is not absent in the world and his power is on constant display. Verse 51, he has scattered the proud. Verse 52, has brought down the mighty. Verse 53, he has sent the rich away empty. This is just a reminder that God is not indifferent towards sin. He is not, he's not indifferent towards those who think that they have no need of God. He's a God of justice and he will bring righteous judgment to bear upon his creation. He will bring justice to all of those who want to live to make their own name great. Think about this, God, throughout the Bible, we see it here in Mary's song, but throughout the Bible, God turns our standards of greatness and significance upside down, doesn't he? He turns the standards of greatness and significance upside down. We see this throughout the scriptures, prominent theme even in Luke's gospel. If you were to continue on in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 20, or 19 through 30, 31, we see a, an, an account there of where a rich man goes to hell while the poor man is carried to God's presence. 
We see in Luke chapter 18, verses nine through 14, that the prayers of the self-righteous Pharisee are denied, but the sinful tax collector is the one who went home justified. In Luke 14, 11, and again in chapter 18, verse 14, Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, it's a reminder for us, and it's a warning to us. God will by no means let the guilty off the hook. He will respond and he will act. He flips our standards of greatness. You see, again, you've you heard me say this before in recent sermons even, that, that it's not a sin to be wealthy and to have a, an affluent kind of lifestyle. What's, what's wrong is the heart and how it, it considers that and uses that saw that in James. But we, we have to get away from thinking about greatness and significance in the terms of wealth and affluence. Because when we read the scriptures, we're all on level ground. That's what sin does to us. It, it, it evens out the scale. No matter who you are, no matter what background you come from, no matter the context in which you've been raised or reared, no matter if you've had a rough life or a decent life, no matter if you're rich or poor, white, black, everywhere in between, no matter if you, have, uh, if you speak English or if you speak Spanish, no matter where you're from, no matter who your dad or mom is, you are all, all of us are on level grounds. All of us. But notice how God's judgment in this passage stands alongside of his grace. In the same verses where the powerful and wealthy and proud are condemned, we see that God also extends grace. He exalts those of humble estates. He fills the hungry with good things. Friends, while God will deal with the wicked, he still delights in extending favor to the lowly. Notice here too that as Mary is reflecting upon God's justice and his mercy, notice she's speaking in past tense. Did you see that? For he has looked, he has done great things. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Then notice verse 51, he has shown, he has scattered, he has brought, he has exalted, he has filled. He has helped in verse 54. All of these are past tense. And some will say, well, she must be referring to stuff God has already done. Perhaps she is. One of the things you'll notice in the Bible is that oftentimes the biblical writers inspired by the Holy Spirit will, will use a past tense to refer to a present and ongoing activity of God to validate the certainty of that activity. And I think that's exactly what he's doing here. She's speaking in this past tense, even though she's referring to present and future activity to, to show the certainty of God's power and his work. And so as she reflects upon his strength, verse 51, as she reflects upon how God shows strength with his arm, how fitting 
that the very child in her womb is the one through which this strength would be on full and perfect display. The one, by the way, which God's justice, his perfect righteous justice and his amazing generous grace would come together in one swooping swift event that we know as the cross, as the atonement, where God's just wrath against sin and his amazing love for sinners is on perfect display in Christ. would be in the person of Jesus Christ that God's strength would come fully and perfectly. You know, Jesus himself would be born into a lowly family, born in a manger. Later the passages tell us that he had nowhere to lay his head. Isaiah reminds us that he was rejected and despised and ultimately we know he was crucified. Not the kind of script we would write concerning the savior of the world, would it? Three days later, God raised him triumphantly from the dead and he now sits at the Father's right hand, ruling and reigning and has promised to one day come again. As one preacher put it, there in poverty and weakness, in condemnation and pain, sin atoned for, Satan's kingdom toppled, God's righteousness vindicated, and sinners who looked to him in faith saved. All of this happened in poverty and in weakness and condemnation and in pain. And this is why Mary is rejoicing. You know, there's a song, and I always think about this song, and I hope I don't offend you. It's not my intent. This song that comes out at Christmas that we sing and we've heard sung over and over, Mary, Did You Know, Mark Lowry, right? And every time I hear Mary, Did You Know, I wanna say, yes, she knew. The angel told her. <laughs> now I know he had different reasons for writing that, and you know, it's a fine song, but I'm like, yes, she knew. Maybe she didn't know all the details of how that was going to play out, but, but she was told there in verse 35, he will be called holy. Earlier, she was told that his, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, there will be no ends. She, she got it, memo received. And this is why she couldn't help but rejoice. Friends, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, not because of eggnog and mistletoe. It's wonderful because God's strong arm brings justice and salvation. Don't miss it. He will scatter the proud. He, he will bring down the wicked, but he will raise up the humble. Friends, as, as you continue to grow and God's grace and understanding of all that he is and all that he's done. We can't help but be humbled. You know, when I go through life and, and, and you know, I go through those seasons of, of highs and lows and, you know, I often refer to this spiritual funk. I'm kind of a melancholic kind of person anyway. So, 
That's why we hire people like Jeremy, who glass is always half full kind of person, kind of evens things out. When I find myself drifting down that, that gloomy, kind of despairing kind of way, every single time, it's because I have taken my eyes off of the gospel. It's because I've forgotten just how great God is to save a sinner like me. And so even in probably what was some level of fear in Mary's heart, even, even though she was probably trying to work in her mind how all of this is going to work out and, and how all this is going to come to pass and what does this mean, she couldn't help but rejoice. Because God, in his grace, also demonstrates his righteous power. But a third reason is that we see that God keeps his promises faithfully. God's grace and his mercy come, his powers revealed, and then in verse 54 and 55, he keeps his promises faithfully. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and to his offspring forever. As Mary reflected upon God's mercy and his power and judgment and salvation, she now concludes this song of joy by reflecting on the fact that God is faithful to his promises. You know, God had made a promise just a few pages back, a few thousand pages back, all the way back in Genesis. All the way back in Genesis, even there in Genesis chapter three, just right after the fall as God is dealing with Adam and Eve and kind of the fallout of their rebellion against him and how that's impacted all of humanity now. And he's, he's, he's kind of explaining the curse and all of these things in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Later on in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham saying that in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this covenant is remembered all the way through the Old Testament. And this he from Genesis 3.15 is, is, the, is the he that is in Mary's womb. And then in Galatians 3.16, Paul reminds us that the offspring from Genesis 3 is not about many children, but about one particular child. The offspring is singular, not plural. This one who would come. And Mary, Mary knew her Bible really well, by the way. You see it, just Bible quotes all throughout this song. She, she, was, she understood God's word. She, she, was a, she read her Bible, her Old Testament. She knew it. And knowing the Bible well was one of the reasons, by God's grace, she was able to rejoice. She was putting all the pieces and parts together. She, she was kind of seeing, okay, this is how God's going to do it. And he's chosen me. And it's as if she's saying, as she finishes up this song in verse 54, look, God has kept his word. 
This promise he made a long time ago to, to, the, to, to even in the garden, after Adam and Eve had turned their backs upon their creator, the same promise he makes to Abraham and through the, through the prophets after them and all that we see in the Old Testament, God has kept his promise. He's kept his word to Israel, and not just to Israel, but to all the families of the earth. You see, the virgin birth and arrival of Jesus into the world is what we could say an ultimate validation that God keeps his word. Now you could go read all kinds of examples, Old Testament, New, of how God kept his promises. But this is kind of the culmination of all of that, and how God's word is stamped right here, done. Everything in the Old Testament had pointed to this moment. This is not just a result of one or two prophecies. Everything in the Old Testament was pushing forward and laying the foundation with great anticipation of this coming day when this, this, this he would come. And now he had arrived. Still in the womb, but he had arrived. See, while the main point of the incarnation, the main point of God becoming a man of Jesus coming to the world is for our salvation. But it's also a resounding statement that we can trust God's word. Mary, Mary understood God's promises and now saw them playing out even in her womb. But listen, think about it this way. Have you ever thought that we're kind of in a better spot than even Mary was? She was seeing all these things playing out and now the, the promise of, of the Old Testament is now in her womb. That's quite an experience. But we're now in a spot after Mary where we can look back throughout history with God's finished revelation. There's no more words to come. We're not waiting on the next book, all right? You never have to go to Amazon or the bookstores if they still have those open. You'll never have to wonder when the next series is coming out. We have, we have it perfectly wrapped up in these 66 books we call Holy Scripture. And if the coming of Jesus into the world isn't a grand statement that God is a God who keeps his word, friends, I don't know what else we could turn to. I don't know where else we could go. Yes, while she was able to make that connection, we've been given the entirety of God's word. We can see from beginning to end, all of God's plan unfolded, God's word in the Old Testament as he promises this coming salvation, in the New Testament as he executes that salvation and lays that foundation and that promise for the coming of Christ again. Listen, friends. He promised that the Messiah would come and in the fullness of time, he did. He also has promised us that Jesus will come again. And just like he had promised that Jesus would come the first time, you can count on the fact that he will come again. He has said it and he will do it. Martin Luther, 
great scholar. We know him many times, oftentimes, because of his defense of the gospel and his pastoral responsibilities and his, his, in, his, his role in the Reformation, but he was also a man who loved music. He loved singing. And as he reflected upon Mary's song here in Luke chapter one, he concluded that this song was about the great works and deeds of God. He said, the song was about, quote, the great works and deeds of God for the strengthening of our faith, for the comforting of all those of low degree, and for the terrifying of the mighty ones of the earth. And even though he was Lutheran, he nailed it, no pun intended. I think he nailed it. This song does strengthen our faith. It does confront our pride and self-sufficient tendencies. It does bring comfort to those in lowly places as a reminder of God's generosity and his favor. It does remind us that God is faithful to his promise. Friend, God has indeed done great things, not just for Mary, but for all of those who would fear him from generation to generation. This is our God. Do you, do you see this truth? Are, are, you, are you aware, are you aware this Christmas season, and not just Christmas, in January, and March, and May, and July, are you, are you aware of this redemptive, powerful, faithful work that God has accomplished? Are you humbled? by his generosity towards you. It's something I would just wanna meditate on for a while. Am I humbled? Am I truly humbled that God would, would do what he's done for me? I think I take so much for granted. Friends, maybe, maybe your joy in Christ needs to be rekindled. Maybe you need to sing again. Friends, all I would tell you to do is let Mary come alongside of you and give you some counsel. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let, let Mary remind you of what it is about God that you need to meditate upon. As maybe you're here and you're just seeing this for the first time and Maybe you would not be a Christian. You're here today and you're not a Christian and you, and, you, and you see this and you're like, whoa. Maybe for the first time you're, you're, you're starting to, to see God's amazing kindness. Friend, the promise of the Bible is if you would but fear the Lord and trust in the finished saving work of Christ, your sins would be forgiven and you would be saved. God has done everything. He has done great things, but the greatest thing that he has done, he has given us a savior. We live in a, in a world filled with sin. All of us are sinners. All of us fall short of God's glory. Not, not a person in this room. 
Remember what I said earlier, all of us are on even level. All, no, matter what you, no matter what you drive or how much money you make or where you've come from, all of us are sinners fallen short of God's glory. And the amazing truth is that God has so loved the world that he gave his only son to come into this world, to be that strong arm of justice and mercy. So that if you would just simply turn from your sin and trust in Christ, you will be saved. Because that is the greatest news I could ever share with you. Friends, have you trusted in Jesus? Do you know him? Are you walking with him? And friend, are you rejoicing in him? We have so many reasons why we can. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word is inspired for our good. Father, my prayer is as we maybe close our Bibles and leave that, that this word would not leave our hearts. Father, would you keep before us the truth of who you are, that you are a merciful, generously merciful God. God, that you delight in extending favor to those who could never save themselves. Father, maybe someone is here this morning and they, they don't know Christ, they, they've not trusted in him. And I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes and that you would draw their hearts to yourself and that you would be glorified in that great work. Father, we're also reminded of how powerful and full of justice you are, Lord. You will not allow the guilty to go free. And yet you continue to extend grace. Lord, would you help us to see that? And Lord, even as Christians to realize that, that even in that, that work of grace to the lowly and as you feel the hungry, Lord, that that would even inform how we do ministry. Father, that we would see the need around us and that we would go in faithfulness to see your power on display. And God, would you remind us even now as we, as we prepare to sing in a moment, Lord, that, that you are faithful to keep your word. How we need your word, Lord. God, our hope is not in the ability for us to keep your promises. We fail. Our hope is not in our strength, but it's in you. God, you are a great God. Help us to rejoice with genuine affection because of who you are and what you've done. Father, would you have your way now in our hearts as we sing and as we respond and as we go forth today. Would you be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.